All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm honored to bring the word of God today to us. And um, for those who don't know me, my name is Ji Hong Min. I'm one of the lay leaders here at VCF. And I work in the software industry as a software development manager. Um, and I'm happy to report, some of you may be wondering about our pastor, Michael, that he is doing well. He had a successful surgery on Wednesday, and he is recovering well. So praise God for that. And today I'm going to be preaching from Genesis 45. And the title of the message is The Prevailing Purposes of God. And then I have in parentheses, through the church. Um, And because we've been on this series about the church, the prevailing purposes of God. And what Genesis 45 tells us, and through the life of Joseph, is that the purposes of God prevail. And prevail means they prove more powerful than opposing forces, right? The purposes of God prove more powerful than opposing forces. Um, A few words about the purposes of God before we start. Now, even when things are going well in our lives, it can often appear that the purposes of God are not prevailing. So, for example, our health, we may be in good health, we may be enjoying good relationships, we may have a good job, family is going well, but it, it does not mean necessarily that we understand or we can discern that the purposes of God are prevailing. And that's because the purposes of God are invisible to the naked eye. Yeah, it's very obvious, but it's invisible. The purposes of God, are, now they manifest themselves, but they're invisible. They are often hidden, the purposes of God, and mysterious, even though at the right time they manifest and we can, they come to light. We get glimpses of the purposes of God. Now, when things are not going well, it's even harder to believe that the purposes of God prevail. And some of us might wonder, when things are not going well, is there even a purpose? Or are the purposes of God even good? Right? So when things are not going well, we can question the goodness of the purposes of God, the existence of the purposes of God, and they can leave us perplexed. Unlike the purposes of God, which are invisible, hidden, mysterious, the opposing forces are often very visible and very real, and they can often shake us. We often face setbacks. We face delays, sicknesses, discouragements, frustrations, things that go against us, spiritual attack, opposition, evil done against us, sometimes our own sins and our fleshly acts make things worse. They distance us from the purposes of God. Unbelief, doubt creeps in, and the list goes on and on. Okay? And what I'm here to say today is that despite all these opposing forces, what Genesis 45 tells us, what the life of Joseph tells us, is that 
the purposes of God prevail. They prove more powerful than opposing forces. And so we're going to take a look at Genesis 45, but I, I realize that it's right in the middle of Joseph's life. So I'm going to go over the life of Joseph real quick, as fast as I can. And I know that many of us know the story, and we can tune that out because I already know the story, okay? But I'm going to encourage us to listen to the story because the story itself is the sermon. I know I have some points afterwards, but the story itself is the sermon because the story of Joseph, it shows forth, like as it says in Psalm 78, verse 4, the, the story of Joseph shows forth the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. All right? I want us to listen to the story and not just say, I know it, but listen in a worshipful way. Look for the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. So the story of Joseph in a nutshell is, by the time we read Genesis 45, he's actually 39 years old by my calculation. But the story begins when he's 17 years old, and many of you know this, and he is the son of Joseph, uh, he's the son of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and he's the 11th son. Joseph is the great-grandchild of Abraham, who's the father of our faith, right? And so, and he's the first son of Rachel, so his dad had many wives. And because of that, there were some problems in his family. And his dad loved him more than the other sons, okay? which is a terrible thing. But he was the favored one, the 11th son. And what happened is that this caused great resentment among his brothers. And his brothers, it says, hated him. Now, at the age of 17, the purposes of God began to manifest themselves in Joseph's life. And they did so through dreams that he had. He had two dreams. They're obviously supernatural dreams. And in these dreams, his brothers bowed down to him. Okay? And so Joseph at this point was not very mature, and he shared these dreams to his family, which pissed them off even more, and they hated him even more. Okay? But we see that God was beginning, he was showing that he was at work in Joseph's life. And so at the right time, his brothers plotted to kill him. And instead of killing him, they decided to sell him as a slave. Okay? And so he got sold as a slave, and he, land, he ended up in Egypt. Okay? And he spent 13 years in Egypt as a slave and in prison. But what it says is that the Lord was with him, both as a slave and as a prisoner, and the Lord caused everything that he did to succeed. Praise God. Okay. And so because of that, he gained a lot of favor. And Joseph must have also began to realize, there's some power at work in my life that I cannot explain. Okay. There's the, the presence of God is with me, and it's causing these good things to happen. When he was 28 years old, 
in prison, something happened, something very significant happened, and that is that he had a divine appointment with two people. He, he met the cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh, who were also in prison at that time. And what happened is that they had these dreams that troubled them, and so they shared them with Joseph, and Joseph interpreted the dreams, and the dreams came to pass. Which proved his relationship with God and his ability to interpret dreams. And what happened is that the cupbearer then was released from prison back into the service of Pharaoh. And what happens is that Joseph puts a lot of hope in the cupbearer and he pleads to him to remember him and to, to mention him to Pharaoh to get him out of prison. But what happens is, by God's plan, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph for two whole years until he turns 30. And in the fullness of time, what happens is that the Pharaoh has a dream. And the Pharaoh is very troubled. And the Pharaoh makes a big commotion. And the cupbearer remembers, hey, there's a guy that I know in prison who can interpret dreams. So Joseph is called out of prison. And he interprets the dream. And basically the dream interpretation is that God is showing Pharaoh what is going to happen during the next 14 years. There's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph proposes to Pharaoh that, hey, during these seven years of plenty, we should save as much food as we can. Because there's seven years of famine coming and we're going to need that food. This proposal, it says, pleases Pharaoh and he mobilizes all of Egypt to execute Joseph's proposal. And so for those seven years, it says, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it or it could not be measured So that talks about how much was saved. They, so much was saved, they stopped measuring at some point. And then the famine came, and it says in Genesis 41, so the famine had spread over all the land, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Right? And so two years into the famine, his brothers, okay, we can assume that food was being to run out in all the earth. They come to Egypt to buy food, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery, but he pretends to not know them at first. Okay? And then that... That brings us to Genesis 45, okay? And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 for us, and we will get into it. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud 
so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence, presumably because they feared retribution from Joseph, who was now in power. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. All right, let's pray. Lord, we have gathered here today in person as well as virtually. Got to come to know you more. Got to be strengthened and fed by your word. To be called further into your purpose. To know your purpose. To be part of your purpose. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come in power during this time. Release your spirit among us. Speak to us and meet us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to say three things about God's purposes from Genesis 45. And the first thing that I want to say is that God's purposes prevail. They prove more powerful than setbacks caused by other people. They prove more powerful than setbacks caused by other people. And we see this in what Joseph says in verses 4 through 8. And it's interesting because he starts almost accusatory. He says in verse 4, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. All right? You caused this major setback in my life. You sold me as a slave. I had to go through all this hardship. And he repeats it twice, right? And his brothers must be shaking in their boots when he says starts like this. But then he says something which probably blew their minds. And that is that he says, you know what? You sold me, but God's purposes prevailed. So he says, it was part of God's plan. It was not you who sent me, but it was God. And God did this to preserve life to save lives. Now, setbacks, there's all kinds of setbacks that we can experience, but especially those that are caused by other people are very difficult. Okay? I don't want to take this lightly. And Amanda was sharing with me recently about someone she's met in the past few years and who's had a series of setbacks. First, a divorce with a, what I would call a bad man. And then raising a child on her own, but then the child having setbacks 
going through very difficult times physically, health-related setbacks. And then she herself having health issues and setbacks, right? And that can, and that kind of a series of setbacks can leave us very distanced from the purposes of God. At this point, that just leaves us scrambling and fighting for survival. A few more things about setbacks in the Christian life. The thing about uh, setbacks is that setbacks can lead to more setbacks. Okay? And that's because a setback, it's not an isolated event, right, that's all nice and encapsulated, and then we just move on in life. Setbacks have a force to it, and they have a momentum to them. Okay? So, when we experience a setback, the momentum actually carries us towards more setbacks. And that force or that momentum may keep carrying us in this direction until that momentum is changed. So with each setback, there's a temptation, and there's a way out. And so, when we give in to the temptation after the setback, it leads to more setbacks. But if we surrender to the purposes of God in his ways, it leads to the momentum changing and an overcoming. So, with setbacks or hurts caused by other people, the temptation for us as human beings is bitterness, Resentment, anger, malice, revenge, and the like. Right? The problem is that if we give in to that, it's going to lead to more setbacks. Because we're going to do things that we're going to regret in the future. Now, for many people, even Christians, that's the normal course. When they experience a setback, caused by other people, they will, resu- they will end up in bitterness, resentment, anger, and that causes a series of setbacks that take them further away from the Lord. And so I think Jacob's brothers were shocked. Right? They were flabbergasted when Joseph revealed that he had not given in to such a setback. He was not bitter. He was not angry with them. But he was saying, you know what? I'm at peace now because the purposes of God have prevailed. What the life of Joseph, what Genesis 45 tells us is that there's another way when we face setbacks. And this way has to do with not giving in to the flesh and to the temptations but instead to surrender to the purposes of God, which prevail and which prove more powerful. And and such surrender, it requires faith, right? It involves tears and patience. In Genesis 41, verse 51, I want to read that for us. It captures what happened in Joseph's life. And this is when he had his firstborn son, And he named him Manasseh. 
because Manessa sounds like the word forget in Hebrew. And so he says, it says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And I think he was talking about the hardship that he, you know, that he endured being sold as a slave and then being betrayed by Potiphar's wife, ending up in prison, living as a slave and a prisoner for 13 years. But it says that, despite all that, the Lord has made me forget. Okay? And that, that word forget really struck me because in, in this sense, the, the Bible's not saying he just forgot about it in the sense that he, it, it, he lost his memory. He clearly did not lose his memory. He did not forget in that way. What it means, though, is that something else has happened, right? Some, some, there's some presence and reality of something else that has superseded it, that has supplanted it, that has overcome it. That's what it means as Christians when we forget the hardship. It does not mean we just forget about it in memory. It means that something else happens that is much greater than that, so that we are able to say, I've, the Lord has made me forget the hardship. So I want to say to us, encourage us right now, exhort us right now to do not give in to the temptations, do not give in to the momentum when you face setbacks. Okay? Maybe some of us are, are facing setbacks right now. Some of us will face setbacks. Some of us know people who are facing setbacks, right? What we, we do not want to give into the, the momentum of the setback. Okay? I want to encourage us instead to cling to the Lord and to wait for his purposes to eventually prevail over that setback. And we will be able to say, as Joseph said, the Lord has made me forget all my hardships. He has made me forget all my setbacks. There's a prayer that I have learned to pray recently, and it's from Psalm 27, verse 12. And it says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. And I began to pray this because I realized that there is a force, that there's a momentum, and I'm, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, do not give me up to those forces. Do not let me be swept away by these forces that are coming in my life. I cling to you. So may we overcome setbacks in Jesus' name. All right? The purposes of God prevail over setbacks caused by other people. The second thing that I want to say about God's purposes prevailing is that God's purposes prevail or prove more powerful than opposing forces through a remnant in the land. Okay? And I want to just read verse 7 for us because the, the word remnant is used here. It says, Joseph said, And God sent me 
before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And I have to really look at this uh, sentence, this verse for a while to understand what it meant. And I think in this, in this verse, the remnant speaks of eventually the, the entire, all, all his brothers and all the sons of Jacob who end up living in Egypt. Okay. But what's interesting is that that remnant was saved by an even smaller remnant, and that is Joseph. And remnant, you can look at the word in two different ways. You can look at it from one angle, and, and the, the word remnant is kind of discouraging. Because what it means is that the majority is not left. The remnant are the, the leftovers, right? So you can look at it and say, man, of the 12 sons of Jacob, only one was, I'm going to say, quote-unquote, good. Okay? And the others were bad. You could look at it and say remnant, remnant can be discouraging if you look at it that way. But you could look at it another way. You can say, but, but there's a remnant. Despite all that, there's a remnant. And that remnant then gives us hope for a future. Right? Despite difficult times. It's an assurance of a future against heavy odds. So, so God's purposes prevail through a remnant that is placed in the land. And the remnant is comprised of a people that God chooses to reveal himself, who respond to him and say yes to that, and God prepares them and works through them. That's a remnant. Okay? I just want to go over that real quick. So the first thing is that the remnant is comprised of a people that God chooses to reveal himself to. And we see this in the life of Joseph. He had these two dreams when he was 17 years old. And they were clearly supernatural dreams that foreshadow what was going to happen. And it says that even when he was in prison, when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, it says the Lord was with him and the Lord caused everything he did to succeed. Okay? Somehow, God was revealing himself to Joseph and saying, hey, Joseph, I have chosen you to know me. And then when he was in prison, he was able to successfully interpret the dreams of the people he met. And surely after that, Joseph must have said to himself, there is, the Lord is with me. So God chooses a people to know him more. And when the people that he chooses respond to him and say, yes, I want to know you more. And God prepares those people. But he prepares them often through trials and tribulations and sufferings. Okay. 
Um, there's a verse, there's a set of verses in Psalm 105 about Joseph, and I want to read that for us. And it's verses 16 through 19. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent the man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. It says the word of the Lord tested him. And I'm going to read a quote from J.I. Packer, who says something about this. He says that Joseph was being tested, refined, and matured. He was being taught during his spell as a slave and in prison to stay himself upon God, to remain cheerful and charitable in frustrating circumstances, and to wait patiently for the Lord. God uses sustained hardships to teach these lessons frequently. Okay. So, the people that God prepares, they have to surrender to this process of preparation, often through trials and tribulations and suffering and hardships. But that is so that the Lord can work through these people, through the remnant. And you, we see, we already saw this, that through Joseph, Egypt in some ways became a remnant for the rest of the earth. And, it, and Egypt was mobilized for seven years. So it says that when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph was able to open the storehouses, sell to the Egyptians. And this is, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Praise God. Right? Through one man that God chose, right? all the earth, those who came to Egypt were able to be saved. I believe that the remnant in the land that God uses is the church. Okay. And we've been on this series on the church. And the remnant is not something we're supposed to just know about, but we are called to be part of it. Right? We are part of it. We're called to be activated in it. And as those who are part of the remnant, I want us to look for these two things that may be happening in your lives. Okay? The first thing is God choosing us to know him more. Okay? Are there inklings of his presence with you? Something supernatural some desire to know him. Right? Maybe you got up today and you said, I need to go to church for some reason. Right? There's, you're troubled about something 
you're seeking the Lord about it. You want to be used by God so that he can work through you. These are inklings of his presence. Okay? What we want to do is not take that for granted. We want to note it, treat it preciously, and respond very faithfully, just as Joseph did. Okay? The second thing that I want us to look for is what is he teaching us through the things that we are going through? It's very easy for us when we go through hard stuff to just say, I'm just going through hard times. I'm just going through hardship, affliction. Actually, the Lord is preparing us through that. He's teaching us something. He has something even more precious than the hardship. And that precious thing can cause us to forget the hardship So what is he teaching? What is the Lord teaching you through what you're going through? Again, we can just go through life and not take note of this. The key here is to take note of it, treat it as precious, and to respond faithfully. All right, the last thing that I want to say about the purposes of God and how they prevail is that God's purposes prevail over our view of time and the way that time often works against the purposes of God. And regarding the view of time, we look at time as finite beings, right? We're finite We live in the space-time continuum, so we are inside of time. We're only present at one point in time. And so there's a way that we look at time, and it's a certain way as a finite being. But God is an infinite being. He He transcends time. He is outside of time. So the way he looks at it is very different. Okay? So let me give you an example. So... Let's look at the life of Joseph and what happened to him in prison. All right? So in prison, he had a divine appointment with a cupbearer and the chief baker of who knew Pharaoh. Okay? It was clearly a divine appointment. So he saw the purposes of God there. And then he was able to interpret the dream accurately. It came to pass, and the cupbearer was was pulled out of prison and went into the service of Pharaoh. And that was Joseph's ticket out of prison. So Joseph pleaded with a cupbearer, says, remember me when it is well with you, and please do to me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. Yeah? So from Joseph's perspective, this thing happened, and that was his ticket out. And and he was a human being, right? We see him as a godly person, but he was a human being. He wanted to get out of prison. He desperately wanted to get out. But then the chapter, Genesis 40, ends with this sad statement. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph and forgot him. And then after that, two years passed. 
right? And so from Joseph's perspective of time, those two years are probably one of the most agonizing two years because right after he interpreted the dream and it happened, he must have been filled with a lot of hope, a lot of expectation that something could happen, something can change. This is his ticket out, right? And probably each day, he was, he was like the guy who checks his mailbox every day looking for good news. He was waiting for that news to get pulled out of prison. But as each day passed, as time passed, right, his hope probably began to fade. It was probably harder and harder for him to hold on to that hope. It was probably much easier for him to believe it's not going to happen. Maybe I'll never get out, right? And so time has a way for us finite beings of working against us believing in the purposes of God, okay? Because whether we like it or not, the purposes of God often take a long time, and God has his own timing, which he calls the fullness of time. Right? Jesus even says, sometimes, my time has not yet come. And so, as human beings, we're very affected by delays, by gaps, by times when things don't seem to be happening. Okay? Now, but from God's view, from God's perspective, it's very different. Because he, the Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega. So he knows the beginning and the end. So from God's perspective, he's like, look, Joseph, I gave you this divine appointment, and this allowed you to plant the seed in the cupbearer. And in two years, which is very short for God, you're going to get out of prison, right? Do you guys see how it's different? The perspectives from a finite being and an infinite being are very different. For God, it's certain it's going to happen. It's no big deal. For Joseph, those two years, and for us, waiting two years, that can be very agonizing. This is why Isaiah 55, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The thing that we have to understand about the purposes of God is that they will prevail over even over our view of time. So how do we respond to that? We have to understand that God's purposes take time. Okay? They take time. They take things a long time. And sometimes it takes us a long time to understand his purposes, which take a long time. Okay? We have to be patient, not only with his purposes, but with even our desire to understand. What we don't want to do is make a wrong assessment at a given point about the purposes of God and press the abort button. Okay? That's the worst thing we can do is say, hey, I think based on empirical evidence, there's the purposes of God are not happening. And if we press eject, right, 
there'll be a setback. What we want to do is be patient. We seek God. We hold firm and steadfast. And so finally, we're going to close in a little bit. The purposes of God, which prove more powerful than all these opposing forces and setbacks caused by other people, by our own frustrations with time, right? That work themselves out through a remnant, through the church. These are not meant to be understood only or to be studied only but they are meant to lead us to a life of worship and surrender. They're they're meant to lead us to a life of faith, of obedience, and of single-minded faith. That the purposes of God will prevail. Even when they are not completely understood, even when we are in the dark, You're called to live a life of worship and faith. Let's pray. I'm wondering if we could put up that there's just the second verse of the first song that we sang. Um, yes. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Let's pray. pray. Lord, we, we are in your presence right now. We're in the presence of a God whose purposes prevail. And Lord, we just thank you that you've gathered each one here. There's a reason why each person is here today. And so, Lord, this is our prayer right now. That that you would take us. I'll put the words up again. You would take us as you find us. Despite all our fears and failures, that you would fill our lives again. And we give our life to follow everything we believe in, we now surrender. I just want to give us a chance right now, before we go home, to just linger in his presence. And if you feel comfortable, you may want to just open your hands as an act of act of surrender, as an act of renewing 
your faith in God, whose purposes prevail, who has done great things in the past, who has left us with many stories and testimonies that show forth his reality and his power and his greatness. And Lord, so even as we linger in your presence right now, would you open the eyes of our heart even more right now to take note of what you are doing? Would you strengthen our spirits right now in the name of Jesus to be faithful to you in these times? Knowing that you call and you prepare a remnant to be used to show forth your glory and to save lives, to preserve life. Lord, and for those of us who need a touch from you, God, that that sense that, oh, the Lord is calling me to know him more. Just pray for that right now. We thank you for the way that you made yourself known to Joseph. We just thank you that you make yourself known to us in in many different ways. We just pray for eyes to see. Pray for many of us who are going through storms. Who may be going through what could be a setback. Who feel the the momentum and the force. And I pray right now for for a strength in our hands to cling to you to crouch and to stick with you until the storm passes. Until we see that the storm has passed and you have strengthened us to come, Lord God, strengthen our hands right now, to cling cling to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your purposes for us in this church. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.